again, and welcome to the Planet Beyond podcast, brought to you by Fugro, the leading provider of geodata, from the greatest subsea depths right to outer space, and hosted by me, John Baston Pitt. Today, we're looking at the emergency response to disasters, not the life-saving response of rescuers, but the almost as important and life-changing response of the insurance industry. Hurricane Ian in 2022 was, was one of the three most economically devastating weather events ever recorded, causing $113 billion worth of damages. More than 160 people were killed as the hurricane worked its way up from the Caribbean and along the Florida coast. Many cities were devastated, utterly, and the vital public services ceased to function. For those affected, timely provision of financial aid through the insurance system is almost as important as their protection or rescue from the immediate danger. Lost homes, workplaces and public utilities can cause life-changing harms that ripple out through families and communities for generations. But assessors often cannot reach these communities quickly. By using high-definition aerial sensing, Mackenzie Intelligence Services was able to accurately map the damage, allowing insurers like Dell Underwriting Partners to start paying out claims just days after the hurricane struck. That allowed those affected to get on with rebuilding their lives. In this episode, I'm joined by Daniel Grimwood Bird, Head of Sales and Marketing at Mackenzie Intelligence Services. Rich Woodhams, Property Claims Manager at Dale Underwriting Partners, and Pooja Mahapatra, Fugro's global lead, Geospatial for Climate. Together, they worked on a project to deliver timely payments to insurance claimants in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. Pooja, before we look at Hurricane Ian, I want to ask you about the real impact natural disasters can have. It's easy with a catastrophe to look at the big numbers, the the hard facts. But if we want to really understand them, we need to talk about people's lived experiences. And your family has seen what damage a catastrophe can cause. I grew up in India, um, and my family comes from the east of the country, the state of Odisha, which has experienced some of the worst tropical cyclones to date. I specifically remember an event in 1999. Um, this, it was called a super cyclone back then. Um, and it, it, it caused several tens of thousands of fatalities. And I think it, it was a destruction of about $5 billion. And it damaged about well, more than almost 2 million homes, including that of my grandparents. And this was just two weeks after another very severe cyclone had ravaged through the state. So I have seen that the impacts can last long after the actual storm has passed. Um, and it really is a stark reminder that, that we humans, for all our technological and evolutionary advancements, are really quite powerless against nature's fury. That must have been a very hard experience to deal with. So 
you would have seen who is most vulnerable as well. And, and I, I've also seen that the most vulnerable populations are really the ones that are affected the most by, by cyclones and hurricanes. And these are often the people who also have the most difficulty bouncing back. I'm thinking of, you know, coastal communities who may be reliant on fishing or agriculture. They face storm surges, strong winds, flooding. And they also are quite often lower income communities, which means that they have fewer resources to prepare for and recover from the impacts of, of such a cyclone. Um, and they also have limited access to basic services like, you know, clean water, sanitation, and even healthcare. And if, if my grandparents are obviously elderly, um, and, and, and if you're elderly or disabled, you also have difficulty evacuating and, and accessing these sort of essential services. I recall that, you know, you, know you, you can also have unique healthcare needs that are not easily met in such a disaster situation. So the impacts of this can really last way after the, uh, the actual event has passed. Rich, your company, Dale Underwriting Partners, insures businesses and, and reinsures the other providers rather than directly offering insurance to individuals. So, so you, you see those big numbers but you can also see another of those real impacts on people's lives. The way a catastrophe can devastate their workplaces or, or leave them stuck without essential public services. Why is it so important to get, get those up and running? Lloyd's visited town hall type meetings for residents in the aftermath of Paradise. And it, it was brutal. There were people there who were not well served by the insurance industry, who were very, very upset. And by having a better, faster claims response, both the attendance by loss assessors, assessors those people that turn up um, like the cavalry there to help people get them back up on their feet. And then the financial backing that has to be done promptly. And if we don't do that, you, you're in uproar. It's not just the speed of payment. It's it it's not about just having the money in someone's account. It's having someone from the insurance industry arrive with that policyholder who is literally struggling. They are looking at their livelihood, their life and soul that they've invested in their organization that's now suddenly taken from them. And the arrival of someone in the industry, and that is invariably a loss adjuster, a loss assessor, that arrives at the location to guide that insured on what practical steps they need to take. That's where the real value of our insurance proposition starts to become manifest. The arrival of that assessor, that loss adjuster, to guide the insured on what practically they need to do and get them back up on their feet is possibly the more critical thing, followed by a timely payment. And Dan, what did you see when you visited the parts of Florida hit by Hurricane Ian? I was in Florida a few weeks ago speaking to a number of loss adjusters and people who live in the area uh, and were affected. And I guess when we think of individuals, you know, we think about their, their home that, that has been lost. And in some cases, their home is lost. Um, in other cases, it isn't, but the impact is still felt. So Hurricane Ian caused widespread power outages across the state, which has an impact. 
A loss adjuster is someone who investigates insurance claims on behalf of the insurer. They are usually the first person you will come into contact with from the insurance company after a claim is logged. People either had to, to wait it out or, or were lucky enough to, to evacuate. But, but on their return, either their house is, is intact and their, their property is intact and they've been one of the very lucky ones who, who don't have to put in large insurance claims. Um, or you know, on the flip side, they do. But even thinking about the people that that have, you know, their properties have survived. If their if their business has been destroyed, if their local convenience store is destroyed, if the school is destroyed, you you still have a huge amount of uh, of uprooting for them to do. Their their life is still turned upside down. And and that is why. I guess when, when we think about individuals, we, we tend to think about it in the minutiae, but we have to think about your know, individual and community and support services around all of them. And you know, that, that one person that lives at you know, number three Acacia Avenue is as much dependent on, on the school down the road or the convenience store that, that Rich and Dale may, uh, may ensure. To, you know, that, that is all of their life. That there is no one that is unaffected by one of these you know, one of these catastrophes, regardless of how lucky they may have been in their individual property. That's absolutely right. That loss of community, that loss of infrastructure, the ripple effect of that. I mean, uh, uh, the businesses that we are insuring, and I'm thinking now in Florida following Hurricane Ian, they are huge employers. And these individuals are making decisions around, have I, have I got a job tomorrow? You know, some of these organizations that we insure have a fantastic cat response, looking after their employees, providing shelter, generators, post loss, food, water, whatever. But they can only do that once they understand the impact to their own business. And that's where partly having a loss assessor arrive at the location doesn't even have to go to the location, can be talking to risk management in a totally different state, but access to this data, to this intelligence. I mean, my, my job is no great mystery, right? I, I have to look at the facts. What happened on the ground? What occurred? Was it storm surge? Was it wind? Was it, you know, how catastrophic was it? How badly impacted is it? Are there pre-existing situations that went on at this location prior to the insured event? But once I understand the facts, only then can I interpret the policy and apply the coverage and in, uh, offer the indemnity. Ultimately, what we're trying to get to is what, what's happened, what's happened on the ground, and MIS enables that. The insurance industry, and indeed anyone trying to evaluate risk, We'll talk about catastrophes like this as one in 100 or one in 200 year events. But around the world, those events are, are now happening many times a year. Why is this happening and why are more people at risk? From, from our perspective, supporting the insurance industry, we're certainly seeing and expecting the trend to continue to rise. Right, events are becoming more frequent and more severe, and that's that's not just hurricanes. That's everything. You know, hail in the U.S. is growing by about one percent in terms of footprint each year. Australia has had severe and significant flooding for a number of years. 
the ocean temperatures continue to rise and that makes more um, more favorable conditions for, for hurricanes to form. The other piece to take into account is taking Florida as the example. I think the population has grown by 200% in Florida since the 1970s. And in the Fort Myers area where Hurricane Ian hit, it was five or 600% that the, the population has, has increased. So from, a, from an insurance standpoint, where you're, you're looking at uh, exposures and, and the risk of areas being hit by hurricanes, then obviously paying out, the, the change over the last 50 years has been astronomical, not just because we're, we're seeing frequency and severity increasing, but because the amount of properties that are, are now exposed has increased by hundreds of percent. Now, some of that is, is, is slightly negated by increase or updates to building codes. Uh, and we saw that in Hurricane Ian. I was looking at a place called Pine Island, which is just north of Fort Myers. And you could see the properties that were the most recent, that had the, the most recent code. They survived and, and as they got older, they got significantly more, more damaged. But you know, they are being built in more, you know, more risk-exposed areas. Properties are being built on floodplains. So the, the severity piece comes hand in hand with people building in, in riskier areas. Dan's point about the building code, code is absolutely key. These properties should be built to a, uh, a standard where they offer the owners some protection, some ability to withstand it. But cost, cutting corners, whatever, you can see why it, it, it doesn't occur. Now, our job uh, is to stand by our policyholders and honour those claims as quickly as possible. But we also have a duty to understand the risks that we're putting on our books. And we are there to collate the premium from the many to pay the claims of the few. And that's essentially what we're trying to achieve. Let's talk next a little bit about your industry. Many of us will have only a vague idea of how the insurance industry works in a disaster. Rich, can you explain how the industry decides whether a claim can be paid? My job is to take the facts of the claim, what has happened on the ground, and apply the terms and conditions of the policy to ultimately then give the indemnity. And the indemnity is there to put the insured back to where they were had the loss not occurred. Now, I can only do that job once I understand what's happened at the loss site. And that is often through the aid of uh, an insurance assessor, adjuster, uh, that will arrive at the location, measure the thing, or we can do this stuff remotely. A lot of what Dale offers is uh, what's called a primary insurance product, in that we insure up to 10, 15, 25, 50 million dollars on any one risk. And that really gives you a sense of some of the insurances we're offering, up to 50 odd million on a commercial type property. But once I get a sense of how bad the damage is in, say, Cape Coral or Fort Myers, and I know I have exposure there. It's going to be way beyond my policy limit. I can tender my payment, my $50 million or whatever, to the insured promptly, safe in the knowledge that whatever happens to that claim, it's going to exceed my available limits. Very good. 
So Dan, maybe you can explain at this high level how assessors do their work. Yeah, so assessors, I guess, work in, in a couple of ways. So you can do what's called desktop adjusting, where you can take you know, the, the known information, you can take you know, the information that MIS provides, you can take imagery from policyholders that they've taken and, and make a make an assessment there. But more traditionally, they're the they're the 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 men and women that are driving into the into the storm area as quickly after the storm has happened. And talking in very broad brush, we're dealing with a massive spectrum. So what I would be looking at, what I would be expecting my loss assessors to do when they arrive at a large commercial um, organization is have the wherewithal to be able to uh, mobilize industrial hygienists, people with the right kit and equipment to get there as emergency responders, get that roof tarped, get the envelope secured, get security, get a generator, power production, get uh, the property dried out, get it remediated. You often have insureds that are literally at a loss, excuse the pun, as to what to do next. And by having someone that's been to disaster sites, has seen what needs to be done, can help organise the remediation of that property and get that insured back up on their feet, can also suggest solutions, practical solutions, like your labour force. Why don't we bust them up to XYZ town or whatever and get them working at another facility to at least get some production back and underway? And is this when MIS comes in and offers you the broader view of what's happened on the ground? The beauty of the MIS product is twofold. Early exposure management. I can understand very quickly how bad this event is going to be for me, for my management, for resourcing, for reserving. And secondly, to get the right expertise in the right area. So I can start getting the reports, so I can start making the payments. And if, as a whole happy consequence of this i realize i'm on a primary 10 million with someone that's going to have damage in the hundreds of millions boom there's your check dan you and Pooja work together on the response to hurricane ian but before we look at that could you describe how mackenzie and fugro started working together yeah i mean one of the i guess one of the benefits that our clients have with working with us is we are always looking at the very best data sources available. We're vetting multiple companies every year. Um, and as new technology comes out, we're looking at, uh, at that so our clients don't have to. So they can be assured that the very best data is, is feeding our intelligence and, and in turn, all the processes that uh, that Rich and, and his peers um, have. And Fugro is someone that Certainly, I've known for for a long time. Uh, precedes my uh, McKenzie Intelligence Services days, but but also just rise to the top in terms of ability, uh, in terms of you know, speed of response, in terms of the the resolution of of the imagery that we can get. And you know, it wasn't it wasn't a, a particularly long and drawn out piece. We we admired them. We we knew their capabilities uh, and and. You know, after a very short vetting process to make sure that it did what we thought it, it could do, it, we were we were flying catastrophes. Yeah, and 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 from Fugro's uh, perspective, when MIS reached out to us, 
we were very keen to work together because the topic is obviously very much aligned to our vision of using geodata to create a safe and livable world. So it, it was almost a no-brainer. And uh, we, we actually have a bit of a history with providing uh, geodata in crisis situations. When I, when I asked my U.S. colleagues, so we have a team in, in, in Frederick, Maryland, um, they're a remote sensing and mapping team. Uh, when I asked some of the long timers there, what has been the proudest moment in their career so far? I almost uniformly get the response um, of, uh, you know, their opportunity to serve their countrymen and women by providing crucial LiDAR imagery and thermal data uh, over ground zero right after 9-11. Yeah, that was quite a turning point in, in, a, lot of their, uh, in, in, in a lot of their memories. So yeah, uh, work like this also provides that purpose uh, for the team, like, you know, being actually, be, uh, actually being able to help people in, in, in a time of need. Yes. And that's what really brings home why the job matters. And where I used to work, uh, my ex-boss tells the story of immediate aftermath of downtown Manhattan, trying to get some grainy images from satellite at tens of thousands of dollars, bearing in mind there was no fly zone, right? So there's nothing uh, able to get up in the air and go and visit this thing, but where we've come from to where we are now is uh, uh, amazing. I've been involved in the RFP process as uh, the McKenzie contract comes around for renewal and looking at competitors and, and what MIS were able to offer and, and some other good stuff out there as well. But just technologically, where we are now is just phenomenal at peanuts compared to what we were charged back in World Trade Center. It's changed a lot since then, hasn't it? It's much easier to get the fine or granular detail you need. What was the data that you got from Fugro Dan for Hurricane Ian? How was that data able to help? So for Hurricane Ian, we tasked Fugro to collect high-resolution fixed-wing aerial imagery for us. Um, I guess you know, to give you an idea of, of the process, we, we had already been tasking satellites, satellites dependent on the um, on the provider, range from 30 centimeter to 80 centimeter resolution, which gives us the ability to do some, uh, I guess, early views of our intelligence. But but at that resolution, we're not looking at the at the fine detail. Uh, Fugro are able to provide. I think we had 15 centimeter imagery for for Hurricane Ian, uh, but but I know you can go down to I think seven and a half centimeter imagery as as well. Um, but because of the the large area that was that was impacted, we went for for fifteen centimeter, and you know I, I guess the the thing to to point out is Hurricane Ian didn't hit, and then we picked up the phone to Fugro and said, "By the way, can you fly?" We you know, we'd been watching Hurricane Ian um, from when it spun off the west coast of of Africa as it you know came across the Atlantic through the Caribbean, and were were planning with Fugro our areas of interest as the um, you know, as the storm track was changing and, and getting closer and closer to landfall. And as soon as the FAA allowed the airspace to open, which I think was the Saturday morning, um, you know, Fugro were, were the first ones up um, after, after Noah, uh, who had been, been flying a bit. FAA stands for the Federal Aviation Administration that manages, amongst many things, access to airspace. And Noah. NOAA is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, 
whose role it is to keep the public informed of the changing environment around them, such as climate monitoring, fisheries management, and coastal restoration efforts. Pooja, as Rich pointed out, a lot has changed in the 20 odd years since the 9-11 attacks on the US. What can you offer Mackenzie, Dale and others in the catastrophic risk sector that wasn't available back then? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I think, a really good question. So what, what, what for us is really important in such a circumstance is to provide a mapping product rather than just a visual product. So what we try to do is provide something that's very much tailored to the specific client and the specific event at hand. Uh, we focus on positional accuracy to really help that decision making on the ground. And yeah, our team consists of very skilled photogrammetrists and people really skilled at managing and handling data very, very quickly. So that, you know, for Hurricane Ian, we flew about two lifts over the entire area. We, we, we had a good choice of, of sensor that could provide a good trade-off between covering a large area very quickly. And uh, what was very important was to have that constant communication with McKenzie. I think, uh, I think the, the, the team with, uh, at MIS were, where, where even hourly contact with our flight crew um, and, and had, a, had a say in their flight planning. Um, and therefore, we were able to provide uh, the data within 24 hours after flying. And this is really big data. And as you can imagine, right after a storm, it's, it's quite a difficult circumstance on the ground. Um, there are lots of operational considerations that actually go behind the scenes to make sure we, we, we can deliver a good product and a timely product. And preparation is vitally important in this case. And how do you prepare for an event like this? Even before we know the exact area of interest, um, we need to do a lot of advanced research. We need to check the weather. We need to find a base that's just outside the danger zone, but not too far away. You need to have good resources, you know, an open airport that has fuel. You need the aircraft resources. You need high-speed internet to be able to transfer all that data. Just after a storm, for instance, or even during a storm. We need to obviously pull planes away from ongoing projects to be able to, you know, um, uh, coordinate uh, um, you know, activities uh, in, in the region. And we also need personnel that are available, both flight crew, but also people at the office to be able to do all the data processing of all this very large data that we then deliver very quickly uh, to, to the people who need it. And one thing we never skimp on is safety. Safety is really of paramount importance. We need to build a project safety plan, and this is obviously, you know, usually a very dynamic environment. And what really helps is, is being prepared. So our sensors are maintained continuously uh, so, so that we can just pick them off the shelf and they are reliable and they can perform even in these difficult conditions. Dan, when that data comes in, how are your teams using it? It might be a good idea if you can tell us a bit about Mackenzie's origins and how it is structured. Yeah, it's a really good question, John. So I guess the, the best way to explain MIS is, is in two halves. There is our product team, led by Rosina Smith, our chief product officer. And then there is our intelligence and data analytics team, led by Louise Jones. And they have very specific skill sets. So product is very insurance focused and has a, a very deep and rich insurance set of experience. And the intelligence team have um, a very deep set of either military intelligence background from, from, you know, um, from British military intelligence, either the British Army or, or the Royal Air Force. And uh, we also have geospatial experts in there. 
it's all about communication. It's all about those two teams working together. So the intelligence team are, are pulling in the data. They are applying the machine learning that we've built on, on the, you know, certainly the imagery that we get on the optical imagery, but we're also combining optical imagery with synthetic aperture radar to work those together. So synthetic aperture radar is very good at picking up flood water, but there are a finite amount of, of synthetic capture radar or SAR satellites. So you, you won't necessarily catch the peak of the flood, but then we're corroborating that with optical imagery to look for um, you know, debris so that we can say where the high water mark was uh, and, and pull those together. That's a lot of data already. How do you add to it and, and turn it into real intelligence your clients need? We're looking at you know, uh, as we get more imagery and more refined imagery, if you think if we go from 80 centimeters to 50 centimeters to 30 centimeters to 15 centimeters, when we have, have Fugro's imagery, you know, we can we can see more and more with each with each piece. And the the team that we've got here in, in terms of the intelligence team, they they spent decades looking at, at battlefield analysis. Uh, and actually, a battlefield and a catastrophe aren't that dissimilar. You, you're looking for, for areas of damage. You're looking for how damaged things are. And we're then passing that over to, to our product team with their insurance knowledge. They're putting it into GEO. So GEO is our in-house built platform. It stands for the Global Events Observer. That maps initially a five-kilometer grid over the, over the catastrophe area, saying where the worst damage has occurred. Uh, and and down in grades from that, from completely destroyed to no damage, because it's it's also as useful for our clients to understand where there's been no damage as there is to where there's been severe damage. Rich said about sending resources to the right places. You don't want to be wasting a, a loss adjuster where there's been no damage. You want to get them to the worst affected places. We're then you know, 24 to 40 hours after that, we're refining that to one kilometer, and then as we get you know, the 15 centimeter image, we, we can really delve down into individual properties. Uh, and then we are grading each of those from completely destroyed to, to no damage. Because catastrophes, you think about catastrophe area, catastrophes are cruel, cruel beasts. And there'll be a property that's completely destroyed next to a property that's got no damage. How smart is this processing and integration of data sets? I've got a picture in my head of of a great big office floor with lots of people pouring over maps and data on screens. And I've got this vision way out there in the future that there's a little box in the corner with AI running and it's integrating and pulling it all together and popping up with the answers which get sent somewhere else. Yeah, and I think at the minute we're in the middle. We, we have developed AI and machine learning. The the reason why we're not fully into that is every every catastrophe is different. Everything will affect um, you know, the area differently. And you know, to to use another example, we we've been reporting on the uh, on the impact of the Russian invasion in Ukraine, and you, know, you can't. There hasn't been enough data to train machine learning or AI on what does. You know, a wind farm look like when it's been hit by a mortar. You know, it, it's so niche that you need a person to look at that. And you need a person with experience to look at that because over Ukraine, there isn't a whole amount of satellite imagery available because it's been taken up by governments. 
so we, we are moving that way. I think it's it's always going to be critical, certainly in the foreseeable future, to, to have people looking at it and using their expert judgment. But in doing that, we're also building the very best training set for machine learning and AI to work from. So Rich, Fugo can provide this very high resolution imagery. MIS can use their experience in military intelligence and their insurance expertise to make this really useful to you. But what else? More data? I have to stop you there, John. You've got to be really careful when you ask a good claims person, do you want more data? Because I have to say, yes, show me everything. And, and, and the problem now is I have so much information at my fingertips. I could spend pretty much all day going around and around in circles on one particular risk. I think you have to draw a certain line. And, and again, the, the skill in the job that people like I do is going from the macro level to the detail and being able to drill into those facts, understand it, apply the concepts, apply the policy terms and conditions, and then go up to the macro level. So at MIS, we, the reason why we don't say we provide data, we say we provide intelligence, is because we aggregate the data so that you're looking at one piece of information that's pulled it all together that gives you a fact. So the fact is that using all of these data sources, we know this property is destroyed, or we know this property has no damage. I think we're pretty good. You know, we've got satellite imagery, we've got aerial imagery, we've got drone imagery, we've got on the ground sensors, you know, social media. If you take it you know, with a pinch of salt uh, and, and media reports, you know, I think the two things that, that we look for more are our speed and probably resolution. You know, if we can get it 24 hours faster, if we can get, um, you know, if if there was a sensor that came out that went from seven and a half centimeter resolution to five centimeter or three centimeter, then that would be even better because then we're looking at we can look at damage to individual tiles on properties rather than just on a on a tile itself. But but I think the the data that we've got is is certainly adequate uh, for what we're doing. And then when you when you add the expert layer that we provide to turn it into intelligence. It, it becomes a fact that's actionable that the insurance industry can go and do something with. They can cut that check for that, that client or they can send the right resource to the right place to get that process started. What I'm hearing is that it's not so much the amount of data, but the ability to deliver it in a timely way with some granular, fine and, and contextual information that's so important. Pooja. Can you give us a peek at some of the innovations that Fugro is working on to help clients like MIS get the data they need? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I could speak for an hour about that. Um, I loved your uh, your mental picture of you know the, the the one extreme of having a room full of people poring over various maps versus a little black box in the corner that does everything automatically. And I think uh, with our with our innovations within Fugro, we're 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 slowly but surely uh, moving in that direction of that single black box. Um, and, and that accounts for, for data such as imagery, which, are, which is obviously a, a little bit easier uh, in terms of dimensionality to be able to process. But we're also looking at replicating that over 3D data. So we're, we're thinking about, for instance, LiDAR data sets, which are very, very accurate and give you that very precise Z or Z direction information, height information, 
which is potentially very crucial for, for this sort of disaster response. For instance, you might know the coverage of a flood. If you want to know, and, and I think uh, I think uh, Rich alluded to the fact that you look at water markers on, uh, on, on buildings, um, if you could do that automatically from behind your computer by overlaying that flood information over a very precise three-dimensional model of that building, that could, that could maybe save the day for one of those assessors. Thank you, Pooja, and thank you, Dan and Rich. It's always impressive to learn about the development of geodata tools. But I think today we've really seen how this data can be used to have real impacts on people's lives. As the world's climate changes, and more of us live in cities, often in coastal areas, more of us will be at risk from the impact of climate change. Geodata could be a tool to make sure that fewer new communities are built in risky areas and are more resilient. But that won't help those in existing communities when disaster strikes. I think what we've seen today from Mackenzie and Dale and from Thugro is that we can use sensing technology to speed the response to disasters that can make the difference between people getting on with their lives or them, their families and their communities continuing to suffer harm. Wise thinkers often say that, that it's better to avoid a hazard in the first place rather than mitigate to reduce the likelihood of harm. I suspect climate change is now occurring too fast for us to avoid harm certainly for the rest of this century and certainly when you consider where we've chosen to live. But we should take strength, be hopeful, when we observe the agility of people and business to take these big, bold, innovative steps to minimise human suffering. Perhaps one day, planners and developers will be able to use these tools to prevent future harm and increase their resilience. But for now, it's good to know that people are getting help when they need it most and fast. As always, be safe, be remarkable, be the difference. Mm -hmm.